Welcome to the International Teacher Podcast with your host, Matt the Family Guy, Kent the Cat Guy, Jacqueline from JP Mint, and Greg the Single Guy, bringing you episodes from around the world about the best kept secret in education. You got it, international teaching. Welcome to the show. This is Greg from the International Teacher Podcast, and with me, of course, is JP Mint. How are you doing, JP? Good morning from Mexico. I'm doing great. Uh, birds are in the background, if you hear any little tweeting birds. We don't have any birds here in the Middle East to, to listen to, but we have a wonderful guest today, and her name is Kim. She's coming to us from Chiang Mai in Thailand, and I'm so excited. Welcome to the show, Kim. Thank you. Kim and, was one of my clients and I reached out to her because I think she has such a great story and I really, really wanted to hear more details because I was following her adventure on Instagram and I just wanted to hear the stories behind the photos. So thank you so much, Kim, for accepting my invitation and I'm so glad to see you. Yes, and thank you. <clears throat> so Greg, Kim just got off a one-year sabbatical. Now you might think, yeah, okay, that sounds interesting. What'd she do, a degree or something? No, she traveled the world. <laughs> and when I say the world, I mean, I think she hit every continent. Kim, did you hit every continent? Uh, not quite, but uh, we did go through 36 countries in 355 days. <laughs> All right, listeners, this is what happens when you're overseas in education. You can be a professional traveler like Kim. And I can't believe you just said that, Kim. Did you say 36 <laughs> countries? Yes, I have my notes in front of me just because I want to make sure I have all my facts. Yes, 36 countries, 355 days. Um, we started in uh, Portland, Oregon in June of 2022 and flew on a one-way ticket to Greece, and I was still applying for jobs, still trying to see where my next school year was going to take us, and um, there came a point where I said, I have to stop for now applying and just focus on where are we going next. Literally from there, five weeks in Greece, we uh, decided to jump over to Spain, in August, which was so hot in Madrid. Ooh, yes. And um, yeah, we just we just kept going from there. I can't remember, but at one point, I think you reached out to me. Um, I felt like it was in Greece or, or thereabouts. Or did you hit Greece a couple times? No, we were only in Greece one time. We started in Europe. I think that was around the time that you reached out to me. Mm -hmm. And then I never knew from that point on where you were. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was like, I'm writing this email into the void and I'm hoping it's getting to you by, you know, carrier pigeon or something, because I have no idea where you are in the world. Yeah, for sure. There were times where we felt like we didn't know where we were either. <laughs> Some mornings you wake <laughs> up and you're like, wait, which country are we in now? But um, it sounds like, I mean, it was a lot, but it's, it, you know, I mean, like we spent three and a half weeks in Turkey. We spent five weeks in Greece. There were some countries we only spent, you know, like four days in Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. Part of it was um, 
just discovering countries we hadn't been to before, areas we hadn't been to, thinking about where I might want to teach next, but also following job fairs, following the weather. There were so many components in there that, that were the driving force behind our, our route. Did you have sort of a skeleton plan? And did you know going out that it was going to be 355 days? We had zero expectation or plan of anything. So what? when we, I think it was April, 2022, we bought our ticket to Greece. We had been wanting to go and then COVID happened and everything. So we finally just bought our ticket. And uh, from there, we kind of had our Greece plan set because it was summer high season and we didn't want to end up stuck without accommodations or stuck in an, on an island or something without a ferry ticket. And uh, so we had Greece fairly well set. That was like our vacation But then after that, it was like, okay, now like we can't be spending quite that amount of money because now we're traveling and we don't know for how long and we don't know where to next or how much it's going to cost to get to that next place or anything. There were moments throughout the year that we would take half day, even maybe two half days, whatever, and just take some time to plan out the next like month or two. Um, But we pretty much just kind of looked at the map and where to go and what to do. We wanted to see the Northern Lights. So we're like, hopefully September in in Finland, we can see them before we head out of that area. And and we did. So there were a lot of things like that that were the the uh, the roadmap, if you will, to where we were going. Um, Borneo in March, for example, we wanted to be there for March to April for the orangutans. We wanted, there were definitely certain. certain Are they only on show in March or April? What's going on with orangutans? We had read that that was one of the best times to go. So that was kind of our pin in our calendar of like, let's try to be here for that. Um, We've lived in Vietnam in the past. So we wanted to be in Vietnam during Tet because we could see a lot of our friends off of you know, school then as well. So there were definitely things that um, helped us make our map. But it seems a little chaotic if you look at it because it was some back and forth in there, but it worked. Awesome. So I wanted to ask you then, if you were traveling around, because we'll get into your teaching background in just a little bit because we're I'm so excited about how many countries and what kind of travel for a whole year. But here's my question. Did you stop and see some of the international schools when you were in these countries because you had mentioned before you were interested maybe and following a job fairs so i reached out to a few schools along our travels it never quite worked out there were also some schools that were still having a lot of restrictions because of covid and weren't allowing a lot of visitors on campus we did not see any like have any official tours of the schools we did drive by some or check out the area of a few Also, along the way, we were able to visit a few uh, friends that we've made because of international teaching. Um, In the Philippines, for example, we have some good friends there. Uh, Serbia, we have some good friends there. And so we were able to reconnect with some of those folks that we um, don't get to see every day now because we don't work together, but uh, worldwide friends, right? And probably stay in touch for life in some way, shape, or form. Were you doing any couch surfing or was it strictly uh, hotels and hostels the entire time? Uh, good question. So my wife would never be okay with couch surfing for us. And uh, <laughs> so that was one thing that we really splurged on. And we knew that we could have cut cut a lot of costs. If we hadn't gone through hotels and such, we tried to do um, 
you know, not big fancy anything by any means, but just no, none of com- the big names. Exactly. Comfortable. You know, there were a few here and there, mainly like in Greece, where we probably um, spent a little more just because, like I said, that was more of our vacation before our travels. But we tried to be cautious about that. Some places, Venice, we stopped through Venice for a couple nights and I was like, that's it, two nights, because that's going to kill our budget, you know. And so we definitely had to pick and choose uh, where to stay longer. Okay, well, you've addressed the elephant in the room because I absolutely wanted to know how did you afford to do this? So the whole time you were on Instagram and I was following, trying to follow the the um, photos and where you were, I was like, okay, I was like doing these little mental math calculations <laughs> of flight cost. Yeah. And then, you know, once you get into a country, sometimes you can cheap you can live pretty cheaply mm-hmm. with local food, especially because mm-hmm. you're only in that country, maybe a few days, you're not going to do, you know, big extravagant five course meals at the, at the fancy hotels. But how did you, did you save like your entire savings and just wipe through your savings or without giving any kind of maybe fixed numbers, how did you afford a year off? So I'll back up just a little bit. Uh, when I lived in Oregon and I was a teacher in Oregon, before we left the U.S., uh, we were able to get rid of all of our debt. Then when we sold our house in Oregon, um, we were able to put away um, the money from that. And then um, just really making some good choices and starting to think about experiences rather than, you know, cars or materialistic items. And then also, I am fortunate because my spouse is retired. She was a school teacher in Oregon for many years, 30 years, and uh, was able to retire. So we are in a very different place financially. However, that being said, um, my first international job was in Vietnam, and uh, I was able to save a lot of money there. So uh, the cost of living is low. Um, The salary was decent there. Um, able to put away money and still travel every month. So a lot of that, uh, just thinking about our future and like what we wanted to do and and taking a year off was definitely a consideration for the future. Um, And my second job was in Guatemala. And also, you know, same thing, just being mindful, having those experiences. Like I said, we still, we traveled a lot even before this year. That's always been important, especially as my wife is retired and we uh, just really want to see and learn the world. Well, you have your health, right? So yeah. yeah. Oh, you still have a house bag at home. No, we sold it. Sold it. Okay. We sold everything. (laughs) I, I'm so amazed because I would like to do the same thing. So I am going to have to email you at some point and say, how do I plan this? But I really am excited to see that, this is like the super travel. You're like, the ex- <laughs> it's like, this is what teachers love to do. We like to go overseas, just like you, and we save enough money at least to travel around. I usually mm-hmm. use one little point and sort of go in concentric circles around and countries that are close to, buy, you know, in that region. And I hope at some point I will go to another continent and then hit that region. So I sort of keep that in mind. But I think you are the professional here is that you've saved money over the years in different places you've taught with the idea, Mm -hmm. let's do a longer trip at some point. 
And that's one of right. those hidden secrets about international is that, yes, first and foremost, we teach. Right. First and foremost, you have a job. You have to support yourself. And we do that. We sock away a little money at a time. And if we're lucky and we do it mindfully, like JP Mint, we can retire at 50 or we could go on some super year long trip. And I think that's so exciting. I've I haven't heard anybody do that before, Kim. So I'm so excited about that. Oh, <laughs> I don't I thought I had a question in there. So somewhere, what is but Go ahead. What is the reaction when you tell people that you just got off a year long sabbatical? Because like like Greg says, we've never really heard of anybody doing this. Yeah. Um, Well, and that's uh, a lot of people who do ask us or talk to us about our trip. Like, oh, so you were working, you know, virtually or digitally or whatever, teaching in language centers. And it's like, no, we were not working. We were just traveling for one year. So usually people are pretty shocked. Uh, They're also shocked at how many countries and how little time. That's why I always clarify, you know, it was, we did spend a decent amount in, in, uh, you know, a lot of the places. Some were a lot shorter, of course. Um, People are always want to know which one's our favorite. I'm sure that question's going to come up or you want to know. Man, choosing a favorite is so hard because, I mean, we went to Bangladesh. Like who goes to Bangladesh, right? Like for a vacation. People go because they uh, work work there, or they work in a fact. They work for a company who has a factory there. But we learned so much there, and we were really excited to meet the people. And um, that was one of our favorite experiences. Was Bangladesh? Wow. Uh, we spent a few days in a in a village outside of Dhaka, and just it was incredible. Um, the white desert in Egypt, one of our favorite travel memories ever. Uh, I don't think much. And can, why is that? Sleeping under the Milky Way in the white desert, having all the limestone formations everywhere around you. Um, we were in a tent, a little pop-up tent. There were people out around us, but I mean, no noise pollution, no light pollution, nothing from anybody. Like we were that far from everybody. And we had... Um, two local Bedouin guides and they were so incredible and just loved their country and wanted to share their home and uh, of the desert. And it was just really magical um, to wake up the next morning and take just a short little drive and stop because their camels were walking right in front of you in that white desert. It was, it was absolutely unbelievable. And at night, the temperatures really drop, don't they? So like when we think desert, oh my gosh, you must've been so hot, but they actually drop, don't they? Yep. That is very true. Yeah. In fact, I think I may have slept in sweats that night in the tent. It was quite chilly. So uh, yeah, you just never know what, what you're going to experience where, and you can't assume because it's always hot there that it really is always that hot there, right? Isn't it one of the worst things when someone says, what's your favorite country you've been to? And then I, I usually have to say like, okay. And they say, I say, do it, you mean living or traveling through or working at it's, it's so difficult because every little, every country has a little gem of a place. It's like the U S every state has its own little gem. I think even Canada mm-hmm. might have a few little gems. Just kidding. JP. But just a um, couple. <laughs> yeah, I just think it's amazing that there's, and I have to say, stop saying it's amazing. Every country and every city have some hidden gems, especially like you got the Bedouins to show you around. 
yeah. in Egypt. If you get some local, if you have some luck and meet the right people mm-hmm. or visit with the right people to show you around, not as a tourist, but as a traveler, mm-hmm. it really will change your whole trip. Do you feel the same way about your trip that you went over that year? Yes, for sure. And there were definitely areas and touristy, you know, spots and such that we uh, wanted to go to or felt like we needed to go to because we were in that location. But we also really tried to see things that were off the beaten path. Um, We did do a lot of day tours. uh, and, And my wife was really mindful in her research, always made sure that it was a local guide, try to get a female guide if possible, just really trying to make some connections with local people, not in big groups, but, you know, paying extra and having a small group or even a personal group because we wanted that experience. We wanted to be able to stop the car. Like, what are they selling on the side of the road? Let's go try it, you know, and uh, (laughs) what are they drying as we're in Laos, you know, and um, just really thinking about like, what can we learn, not just what can we see that's on Instagram already, you know, and that's, that's how we do things. That's how we like to travel is learning and experiencing. So you just mentioned something about um, stop the car. Uh, What are they selling? So thinking about, of course, food, Greg, only, only thinks about food. I do too. (laughs) I think that's why we hit it off so much. (laughs) So what are some of the favorite dishes that you got to experience around the world? Ooh, that's a, that's a big one. Um, so we spent three weeks in Japan. Of course, we planned that one for cherry blossom season. Uh, that was supposed Ooh. to be our, that was supposed to be our trip in spring 2020 and then COVID happened. So this was our makeup trip for that. Um, the food in Japan is so incredible. So my wife does not really like sushi much. She now is like, wait, what? That's what it's supposed to taste like. It really is that amazing. So that was, I think, such a pleasant surprise that um, she's just now really excited about sushi. Um, Also, excuse me, thinking about... uh, a lot of the various sausages and things in Europe, of course, we hadn't had so many different brats and sausage and everything else. You go to each stall and you're like, I, I don't know. Just, just give me one, like whatever he had. Surprise me. <laughs> yeah. You know, like to me, it's sausage is generally sausage or hot dog, right? Like we don't have a lot of, a lot of variety. Um, but my favorite, I think was Poland. The soup dishes in Poland were out of this world. Um, Really? We went on one food tour with this sweet local guy, and he was explaining to us about all the different soups and and everything and the recipes. And he said there's at least one like traditional soup recipe for every day of the year. He said they just have so many varieties of soups. And I still talk about that. Like it it was so incredible. Like yeah. every day is like today is tomato soup day. Tomorrow is like asparagus day. Yeah. And wow. Yeah. I remember, I remember traveling through um, the Czech Republic. So, and, and I've been to Poland, but I don't remember the soups, but I remember in the Czech Republic, so very close, the, it was like goulash. It was, mm-hmm. it, they were hearty soups, not mm-hmm. 
like these um, chicken broth clear. Right. Is that right? Yeah. So, and then like your, yeah, I think Hungary had a lot of goulash as well. Um, we don't eat beef and, and we're not big fans of lamb uh, just by choice, both of those. But uh, so that got to be a little tricky in some of the countries, but you know, then in others, it was easy to find pork and chicken and other things. So that was always a little bit of, you know, just something that we personally chose as well was, all right, on this tour, we have to make sure we tell them we don't eat beef or, or whatever. Um, there was one tour, I don't remember where we were, but one of the main items was beef. And so they had to change that whole, you know, last stop for us. But people are pretty accommodating if you're, uh, upfront with them about it and tell them, you know, what you do and do not eat or whatever. Since we're talking like it's a food network and this is like an Anthony Bourdain special, <laughs> right? I, tr he's one of my, he was one of my heroes and he still is. I went to mm. Slovenia once in Ljubljana, which is like the Italian, like on the border of Italy. And we went on a food tour that was led by a young woman. She was probably 20. And she was like going to college and she would do this on the weekend. So we grabbed her. She set up like six different, eight different restaurants that we would go in and just get a little bit to eat at each one. And it wasn't really too expensive because it was off the beaten path. Have you done any food tours on there like that? Yes, we've done a lot, a lot of food tours, partly because we feel like food is so much part of the culture, right? And there's the history there of, how did that food come about? Or what was once, you know, um, the food that people were eating because they couldn't afford other food is now, a, you know, a fancy dish or um, has become something uh, that area is known for or throughout the world. We went to Ljubljana. In fact, um, that was my wife's probably favorite. Well, I think the White Desert was her number one, but she would love to live in Ljubljana someday. She absolutely loved Wouldn't that. Wouldn't we all? My oh, gosh, it yeah. looks Here, amazing. That's a great segue <laughs> yeah, for so me, beautiful. okay? Can, let me add to a little bit of my story. I always like to add my stories in. It's just to share. When you just mentioned the fact that some countries you learn to eat foods that they ate because they couldn't afford or it wasn't available to eat other things. I lived in mm -hmm. Cambodia, and, and you can, of course, comment on this, but when I lived in Cambodia for two years, I got to hear all these stories about up north, away from Phnom Penh, they were eating these tarantulas. And I was like, oh, I'm going to pull an Anthony Bourdain on this one. So I paid my driver, my friend, to drive me like two hours north. And the story is, as we're going up there, he's telling me the story of why they eat these tarantulas, and they're called opping. It became a delicacy because during their history in the 80s, when it was genocide and everything and they had nothing to eat they would get protein mm -hmm. by harvesting the spiders the tarantulas out of their lairs out of the ground out of the holes it was absolutely fascinating because i am arachnophobic number one and number two i couldn't think of eating a tarantula but i was like i'm gonna have one like crawling on me i'm gonna eat one i'm gonna do a video of it take pictures and all this stuff sure enough poe took me up two and a half hours north in his taxi and we stopped at this bus station. It was like the most famous area uh, outside of Phnom Penh for food. And the buses of tours would stop there specifically for these tarantulas. I guarantee wow. you, if you, if you go to my website, like personal website has videos of stuff like this. And I have a big picture of tarantulas because 
this woman, I walk up to her and I say, hey, can you have any live tarantulas that you haven't cooked yet? She's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Next thing I know, she didn't put one on my hand. She put 17, <laughs> 17 live tarantulas all over me. And I'm like, I'm freaked out. Great story. And I'm eating one. But the, this thing crawled down my face. She put it on top of my head. It crawled down my face. A couple crawled down like almost into my boots. I'm freaking out, but it was a fun Anthony Bourdain type thing. And they tasted horrible. They were apps. Don't ever try it. Well, you should try one just because, right? And they love them when they're, well, when they're during mating season and they have babies. It's really gross, but I had such a great experience with that. And if you, you are in, in Thailand, you get a chance to go to Cambodia. They're called Aping, yeah. A-P-I-N-G. And it's horrible. Okay. I mean, it's just, but if you want to have a tarantula crawl all over you, they, the guy, here's one last tidbit of information. I asked her, the woman, on an interview with my video camera and my driver and everything, he's taking a video. And I asked the girl, I said, do they have fangs in them? Because I know that they, you know, tarantulas might bite. And she's like, oh, no, 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 no. He take them out with his teeth. There's a guy that would harvest them, and he would actually pluck the, the fangs from the tarantula using his teeth. And like he would hold it up to his face, bite the, the tooth, and yank it out. And then they would put them in buckets. So these things, the only thing that they really did was the tarantulas shake, and they have these, these hairs on them that make you all itchy. So I have this big fear of spiders, but it was like the spider weekend to learn. And I'm sorry to take this whole thing over with my spider story, but when you bring up eating like certain things, or <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, in Venezuela, I had a, a, a cow tongue and I was like, I don't mm -hmm. eat a lot of meats, but I'm excited. I was like, I didn't know what I was eating until someone told me. And the, don't ever eat mm -hmm. cow tongue. It's horrible. <laughs> so did you try any mm -hmm. foods? Back to you, back to our guest. Kim, did you try any foods that you were just hesitant, like, I don't think I want to do it, but you did try a couple? Um, yeah, back to the sausages. There were some oh. sausage in one of the Baltic states that we were not a fan of. Um, it was this little market food tour, and what we didn't know until after we tried was that you don't usually eat the sausage by itself. You usually eat it with like onion and a cracker or something like that, but they didn't offer the sausage with that. So we'd already bitten into it. And um, that was one of the worst tastes I've had. And then the gal was like, oh yeah, you're supposed to have onion and bread or cracker with that. And I was like, well, where is it? <laughs> Give me something. <laughs> It sounds almost like it would be a blood sausage or something that would be, no? So my second story about food is Argentina. And I don't know if you've tasted what a farm smells like, but I or, had a or plate. Or tastes like? Yeah, gross. Yeah, we had a plate of food. It was like uh, all different kinds of meats from the animal. I tasted it. I was like, what is that taste? There was some kind of a sausage <laughs> on there that I tasted. And it it was like I was eating the smell of a barn, like all of the smells, <laughs> not just the, you know, not just the dung or not just the hay, not just the flies, oh. but the whole barn has a smell. And if you've ever been on farms, you have that smell. And I came away describing the taste of that plate from that one sausage as a farm, I, like a barn 
a barnyard smell was the only way I could describe it. And and other than that, I mean, the steaks were amazing. But uh, I know I'm getting really gross. But w- this is the Food Network ITP, right? <laughs> yeah, this is going to be have the to gross. Share everything. <laughs> this is going to be the. This is the. We're talking about spiders, and we're talking about gross food. Okay, let's get on to some really nice topics. <laughs> oh, so gosh. I I want to know what was sort of the most luxurious part of your of your travel. Where did you feel like? wow, we've, we've made it. And this has been fantastic. Mm. So we started in uh, Europe and then we only went to Egypt and Africa. Um, and then we went to Asia and then back into Europe. I think leaving Borneo and just a lot going on in Asia. And then next stop was Italy. And we'd been to Italy before, but like we went to Pisa and we went to um, another little town. I can't remember the name now. But I think when we got back to that area, we also knew like we were flying out of Frankfurt. So we knew like we had kind of gone across and then back and now just making our way down and around through Frankfurt, which was so long time, uh, two months. I think at that point it was like, okay, like we're back in Europe now. And so like we're on the continent we're leaving from in June. And um, we're seeing some things that are familiar, you know, some parts of Italy, but uh, here we go now doing very different transportation, trains, buses, you know, land transportation rather than flying. So I think at that point it was like, we did this. And if we, if we miss a train or miss a whatever, there'll be another one in a couple hours. So um, it wasn't as stressful, I think at that point. And it was like more, you know, just, taking our time coming down from from all this hype of flying and then flying again in a week and um, a lot of flying in Asia, especially when you're going, you know, Philippines to, uh, you know, Japan and and around there. There's a lot, a lot. And I don't like flying. So that was a big, I I really don't like flying. (laughs) Oh, that's so weird. I know. All right, let's take a moment for a little commercial about how to get in touch with us. You can, of course, find all four of us at theitpexpat.com. That's www.itpexpat.com. Or you could also find us at email at internationalteacherpodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Or if you're into Facebook, we have a new Facebook group at www.facebook.com slash groups slash ITP expat, where you can find all kinds of inside information about ITP expat. You can also find us on Instagram at ITP expats. That's with an S ITP expats is our handle. All right. And thank you, listeners. We have over a hundred countries represented by our listeners. And though we're not monetized, we are here for you. And we would like to thank all of you for listening. So let's get back to the show. So I wanted to know as well about um, beds, because now in my in my um, gray years, I really can't sleep just anywhere. I need a really nice soft bed that's really comfortable. Mm -hmm. And most of these hotels and hostels, they're going to have 
either like sawdust inside sewn into a cotton sack <laughs> or 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 worse like just a plywood board with you know wrapped in tissue or something jp so you are how so did you... soft what's wrong what's what's gotten into <laughs> Come you on. The, not a hearty traveler anymore we have to do not the anymore no Come on, Kim. No, tell I mean, her, as soon as your back you starts to go out, how do you, how do you, how can you walk the next yeah. day if your back is out? So tell us a little bit about, did you have sort of a, a standard, uh, you know, I'm thinking with Bonnie, you might've had a standard like, okay, it has to be better than plywood. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's challenging to know, you know, like what one person may love really hard mattress and somebody else likes it nice and plush. So you don't always know. Um, one thing that we were trying to keep in mind throughout as we were planning our accommodations, though, probably one of the number one considerations was um, Wi-Fi because I was still having uh, job interviews here and there. So that was always like one of our main things to look for because you cannot uh, count on um all hotels having Wi-Fi, right? Like there's a lot of hotels out there, especially when you get around Europe and different places, they just don't have it or they only have it in the common areas. So the bed was, uh, you know, a consideration as well, but you don't always know. And there were days where, I mean, you didn't know your hotel was going to be upstairs from a bar or across the way from <laughs> a whatever, especially once we got back into some areas in Europe. Um, and so some days we were just exhausted. And to be fair, we traveled 355 days with very few breaks. I mean, there would be a day here and there where we would say, okay, tomorrow we're going to do this in the morning. And then in the afternoon, we're going to sit at a coffee shop for four hours because we have to buy plane tickets and plan and whatever. So we would make ourselves have some of those down days to give our bodies a rest, to give our minds like not being traveling right in that moment, but like focusing on our, our planning. Um, we also just throwing this in there too. We traveled very light. We had, uh, that was going to mm -hmm. be a question, Kim, that was going to be a question about suitcases and things. Yeah. We had, uh, one carry on bag each and we had one small day pack, small backpack each. Um, and that was it. And we knew we would not be purchasing many souvenirs and other things like we knew. And, but we also, uh, we had our rain gear in there. We had our, our swimming clothes. We had, you know, sarongs. Um, we had uh, our two shoes, hiking boots and a pair of sandals. Um, that's all we wore for the whole year, mainly our sandals. I don't know if I'm allowed to say the brand name or not, but they're my go-to everything shoe. Um, and then... Yeah, go for it. Are they Birkenstock no, or Tiva? Keen, nope. all the way. 100% Keen. keen. Oh, yes. Oh, I'm going to have to look those up now. Kim. Yeah, our absolute favorite shoe is the Keen Newport. And we wore... I mean, when we got to Japan, Robin had to buy a new pair because they were literally worn through from walking so much for the year. Wow. So we, we tried to travel really light. Um, I had my... I would think you didn't have sweaters or, and things like that. So you were just planning your trip so that you would never hit winter. Uh, we were very mindful of that. When we were in Finland, it got a little chilly, um, but we had a fleece. We, have rash, we had our rash guard shirts to use kind of as an extra 
layer underneath, mm -hmm. things like that. So we're trying to be mindful of multi-use um, to just, you know, not have to take or buy a lot of extra things. There did come a point in, I think we were in beginning of April, we were in Malaysia and Robin looked at me and we only had, I only had two t-shirts for the whole year. And she looked at me and she was like, oh yeah, no, that shirt, that shirt can't leave here. You, we, we need to get you a new shirt. She said the neckline was just not working anymore and uh, it had seen its days of travel. So two t-shirts. I don't even know how you'd survive with two t-shirts. <laughs> Greg, Greg, in his video, uh, listeners, Greg has just put up a very um, our travel a very used is now sponsored <laughs> by Chaco. I can't go Chaco. anywhere without my Chacos. I've been through rivers and jungles and deserts. I've lost one before, and it floated down the whole river, and I got it back. But I, well, I might have to go for the Keens. But I definitely have had a pair of Chacos since I think. Uh, Honduras back in 2002 I bought my first pair and I tell you what when we talk about super travelers that's what we are we're international teachers educators directors whatever but we know our travel stuff and like you're saying mm -hmm. there's there's that that trusty pair of boots and a pair of sandals mm -hmm. you don't need tennis shoes or anything right and people disagree but literally and I see you nodding your head and literally we have to have a great pair of sandals but uh, yeah, it's brought to you by Chaco. I love my Chaco. <laughs> and I yeah. need more than two t-shirts. Okay, so let's talk. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, let's talk a little bit more about your, your day pack. So what would you, what would be some uh, necessities you'd have? Always make sure like, okay, let's make sure we have this in the day pack before we head off for the day. Mm -hmm. um, just your basics, uh, like some snacks you know, some sanitizer, always tissues because you never know what you might need a tissue for, right? Toilet, mm -hmm. tissue, napkin, whatever. Um, uh, we usually had the iPad in the pack. I had my laptop with us as well, but I usually left that at the hotel if possible. Um, the portable charger. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. Depending on where we were and the season, rain gear often went in there. Um I've got one. Mm -hmm. I know what you had. Duct tape. We did not. It's not okay, wait though. No. We did not. We did not take duct tape. But rubber bands, binder clips are two of our favorite travel hacks because a rubber band can be used for so many things. Um, but the best thing it can be used for is like even just like rubber banding your snack bag that you didn't finish or whatever, right? Cause you're on the move. You can't just go to the kitchen and get a Ziploc out to put it in or a Tupperware or whatever. So you have to get really creative binder clips. I can't tell you how many times we've clipped like uh, curtains in a hotel room or something closed the mosquito netting in the Philippines because there was this, it, it went, you know, like an A shape and the bottom was open. So we had two or three binder clips those two are always on our pack I know list. for a fact Greg has used a binder clip on his pants once. Yep. <laughs> I just listened to that episode, Greg, where it was the first day of school and your, your zipper split, so you used a binder <laughs> clip. 
Yeah, that was in civilization, but I was in front of a bunch of little animals, that's for sure. But you're right. And I never thought about binder. Are you talking mm-hmm. about the black binder clips yep. with the little that you turn yeah. around and, and we use in yep. school all the time? I need exactly. to use more of those. Leave it to a teacher, because, right? Right. I know. And I'm going to add that to my list because I think so far your your Keens or your, your like trusty pair of shoes, you need to have a pair of long pants, a couple T-shirts, Mm-hmm. Uh, generous amount of underwear for me, of course, but uh, that's probably too personal. But the idea of the paper, the, the binder clips is great because yeah. the besides digital and, you know, my digital stuff and my camera, my phone, I always carry duct tape because I've seen, I mean, we have like fixed a canoe in a whitewater rafting area. We fixed a canoe with duct tape. We've duct taped pretty much everything. You can make little dishes out of them if you have to. I mean, whatever you're doing, you can fix your tent with it. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of duct tape, but wow, I have to think double think of this kind of travel because I'm going on a trip for a year. Yes. I have to. <laughs> I save all our notes. Kim. Everything. Absolutely. And and I wanna know, I wanna know. So um at some point you had to be thinking, are are we done? Like, let's just be done with this. And, but then you just kept going. Tell us about that. Like, did you have several of those moments? Uh, we took turns having those moments, thankfully. Um, I think one of the hardest moments was outside of the city of Kuala Lumpur. There's a little town, Kuala Silangor which is kind of the name of the whole area, but this was also like specifically this, this very small town. And it was Valentine's Day weekend and we wanted to get out of KL for a little bit and go see the fireflies and uh, the bioluminescent plankton. And there were all these things we wanted to go see. So we decided to take the bus. We were going to take the local bus and it was going to be cheap and it was going to be couple hours and we were going to have this local experience. We were very ready for it. The bus never came. We don't know if it was no longer in route through there. We don't know what happened. So we took public transportation to the main bus station, the big bus station, and bought a ticket. And there was only one more uh, bus ride out on that bus out uh, that day. And so we decided we were going to be really smart about this. We bought a round trip ticket so we wouldn't have to deal with this on the other end. We were ready to go. We can jump back on the bus in two days and come back to KL. So we get on the bus. We're going along. I think there were too many people on the bus already. And so people are standing and sitting in the aisle and, you know, by our standards anyway, right? And so all of a sudden we stop at this gas station and everybody's getting off the bus. And I'm a big map follower. And I'm like, we're nowhere near our destination. What is going on? Mm-hmm. Well, apparently the bus was breaking down, had broken down. I don't know. So we had to get off and wait for the next bus. Okay. Get on the next bus. We keep, continue on to our destination. And by then it's dumping buckets. Just pouring. So we're driving through the little town that we're supposed to be stopping in, but the bus doesn't stop. Like there's no bus stop, bus station. Yeah, I was like, wait, like there's a bus station here. We have a return ticket. What's going on? 
Anyway, we end up getting off the bus with some guy who got off the bus. We just jumped off at the gas station with him and our hotel is walkable, but it is pouring. So he and his buddy give us a ride. Mm. All is great. We do our tour the next day out to the uh, sky mirror where you get to take really reflective photographs of yourself, you know, like you do on the salt flats in Bolivia. Anyway, it's this really beautiful experience. That night we have a tour. The next day, we're supposed to use our return ticket. There's no bus. There's no bus that ever comes to get us. There's also no Grab, no Uber, no taxis, no nothing. We don't know how to get back to KL. We have no idea. At this point, one of us is very upset. This was supposed to be the greatest weekend. (laughs) I just want normal schedule. Like, what is going on? And so at that point, we had kind of reached our limit of just too much to have to think about. And the travel in those moments was becoming really frustrating and no longer fun. Um, We kept trying Uber. And after many attempts for various reasons, uh, I think the fourth driver finally was able to get us all the way back to KL and our bus tickets were just, I don't know, but we were, we were very happy to get back and uh, tipped that man very generously. And um, we were very happy to get back to the hotel. <laughs> I was going to say that's when you have to pay a little bit extra for a hotel, yep. because when you're that freaked out after such an experience, that's when you need that comfort, right? Yeah. Wow. What a story. The bus yeah. just didn't, didn't show up gone. We, what were you talking about? And that's Road so strange. Trip? Because mm-hmm. you would think because you're returning mm-hmm. back to the main city, the capital city, you would think there would be hundreds mm-hmm. of buses to get back into Kale. It wasn't rule during a one. holiday or something. Mm-hmm. That's rule number mm-hmm. one, though, JP Mint. Leave your logic behind Don't assume. when you go travel. <laughs> That's true. <Yes>. Right? Don't <laughs> assume and leave logic behind in some other place, unless you're mm-hmm. in Switzerland, right? Or in Europe. There's a lot of logical things. But you are traveling in a country you haven't been to before and all logic disappears. Yeah. When I was in KL, just to match a little bit with your yours, Kim, when I landed in KL, I was going to Borneo to go diving. I had to spend overnight because of my flights were a little bit screwed up and I landed at night and I would leave early in the morning. And there I figured I would just grab a hotel that's close to the airport. And at that time, whatever year it was, there were no hotels right by the airport. Mm-hmm. I took a, I had to buy a bus ticket. There were no, when you land at that airport, there's nothing there for tourists. It's like, there's no taxis. There's no, there's nothing. And there's no advertising. You just sort of land there. At least I did. And I had, I didn't have a contact. I was just traveling through. So when I landed and I ended up just following the herd and everyone just sort of went to all these buses, they had a line of like 50 buses that were going into KL and the airport was like 45 minutes or an hour away. Mm-hmm. So when I landed, I just grabbed a bus and just randomly the first hotel that they stopped at, I got off. And then they didn't have any rooms for me except like a $400 a night top suite. And I said, okay, I'm, I'm bagging it. I'm doing it. And I'm just going to go diving for a couple of weeks. So I'm going to have to stay overnight for a couple hours. I bought this oh hotel room and I said to the lady, mm-hmm. I said to the lady, logically, I need a wake-up call to get to my my flight in the morning at 7. So I need a 5 o'clock <laughs> wake-up call. She wrote it down. There was like no – it was a five-star hotel. I was obviously paying for it. I barely put my stuff down. I woke up, 
at six o'clock. And all I, I mean, I was only there for like four hours, but six o'clock in the morning, I'm waking up. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to miss my flight. And the guy, the car, the car driver outside the taxi outside the hotel, he didn't want to take me. He goes, no. I said, I want to go to the airport. He goes, no. So then the next guy I asked him, he said, no, I had to walk two blocks away. And I said to the guy, you know, if he wanted a hundred, I said, I'll double it. If you get me to the airport in 45 minutes. Hmm. And that guy gave me the scariest ride in a taxi I've ever had in my life. <laughs> he was flying. You asked for it. <laughs> but yes, don't leave your logic behind. I'm sure you ran into that a lot, Kim. You, you don't know what yeah. to expect. You have to rely on each other if you're traveling together and be safe and, mm-hmm. and use your, you know, go with your gut feeling about stuff, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were a few tours we were on. The one, actually, the one in the White Desert in Egypt, we had a driver from the city down to the oasis, and then at the oasis, the driver just like we met these two guys who ended up being these amazing guides. Um, but he's just like, okay, bye, and off the driver went, and now we're with two new people, and not all of that was communicated to us ahead of time, and so for us that was a little startling, like. Is this real? Is this legit? Are we going to be safe? What are we doing? In the middle of nowhere. Yes, in the middle of the desert, literally, right? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, mm-hmm. it all worked out. But there are definitely moments where you just, you know, you have to look at each other, evaluate the situation, and just think, what do you want to do about this right now? Because you don't know what's happening. And, you know, generally people are good people. And, and that's what we've learned so much about, too, is... Everything you hear on the news, you you just have to take so much with a grain of salt. If we listen and watch the news during our whole year of travel, we would have probably not gone to so many of those places. And, you know, even in, in Egypt, we were debating, do we do an organized tour? Do we just look up some day tours and think about where we're staying? And, you know, what do we do as two females and as two travelers in Egypt? And it all worked out well. And, and um, just, I think, well, I'm from Portland, Oregon, and, you know, things there right now when we go back to visit are, you have to be very cautious there as well. It's it's everywhere. So I think people think their home home place is always the safest, and certainly not. I have one more little anecdote uh, of surprise and logic, and that was when I was in Rome. We went for like three days, and I was living close, so it wasn't a really extravagant for me. It was more like I'd never been to Rome before. The two people I was with, they signed us up without my consent. They said, "Oh, we signed you up for a t- we signed us up for a tour." And I said, "What?" We had gone to the Colosseum, and in order to get into the Colosseum, there were all these little people holding signs up for euros, like thirty euros or this or that, and leaving in thirty minutes. So as soon as they got their group together, they would go on a tour. Now I didn't trust this at all. So against my better wishes, we did this. But I was looking, and as we're walking to the front of the three-hour line to get into the Coliseum, people were waiting for three hours. I mean, the line was amazing. We just went with our little group after paying our 30 euros. We walk into the front, and we walk right in. She's giving us a tour in, in English. She said to us, you don't have to stay with the tour now that you're inside, you can go looking around or stay with me and learn a lot. 
and then we'll meet after another hour for lunch. We'll meet across the street at another part for the part, second part of the tour. And if they hadn't done that, we would have been at the end of a three-hour line and yeah. probably skipped the Coliseum. But you have to sort mm-hmm. of go with your gut, and they did, and I just went along with them. And luckily, we weren't scammed. I thought it was going to be a scam. Mm-hmm. Tra- your travel stories are amazing. <laughs> we need to get you on for like part two. I know. I'm looking at the time, and I'm like, but I want to hear more. Can I switch us to a little bit different part of this podcast? Because all of these stories mm-hmm. that you've told us, I have this vision like you are this multimillionaire that you can take a year off and we talked about your finances and stuff but what can you tell us a little bit about what you do uh and where you're living now and you told us a little of your history but can you give us a little snapshot uh of your teaching overseas your teaching and then leading up to the overseas story yes i can do that all right so i'll just really quickly go through my way back when uh born pretty much and raised in uh oregon when I was uh, in high school, my family moved to Alaska and I finished my junior and then did my senior year and graduated from Petersburg, Alaska. Very, very small town in Southeast. From there, I went to school in, uh, in Juneau at the University of Alaska Southeast, then ended up back in Portland, Portland area, I should say. I was living there for quite a few years. Um, that's where I went back to school to Portland State University and got my master's hired on by the Hillsborough School District right outside of Portland. I taught there for seven years. So I started in kindergarten, and then I taught um, grade four, grade five, and grade six. I loved, loved fifth grade. So that was where I ultimately landed and tried to stay. Really enjoyed my time there. I learned a lot. I uh, love teaching in that area. There's a lot to offer for education. And then um, one day after my spouse retired, she was like, hey, like, I really feel like we should go abroad and you can get a job and we can travel. And there's not, there's like no reason that we have to stay in Oregon. You know, we'd pretty much both lived in Oregon most of our lives and started applying for jobs here and there. We went to a job fair in San Francisco, but nothing panned out there. And I think we're just like still researching, still in that research phase and collecting information and a job in Vietnam came up and Robin being my biggest cheerleader, that's my spouse. She was like, came running in one morning and was like, you have an interview. They want to interview you. And so from there, that's where we went our first year. And it was incredible. Vietnam will always be special. You ask about favorites, right? Um, of course, it was our first place abroad. Um, we met a lot of amazing people there. We had a really great experience at the school there, um, the students, the people, everything. We just loved it. And people ask, why didn't you stay? And and were you north or south? Vietnam? We were in Hanoi I mean, in the north. It's a very long yep. coastal country in the north. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And it north. was, was it, can you, was it Eunice? Did you work at Eunice or did you work at a different school? You don't know. I worked at, it. worked at a different school. I worked at a privately owned school um, in Hanoi, a small, small school. Just really, really enjoyed everything about it. They, they really made our first international teaching experience amazing, uh, just with paperwork, with communication and everything. And I think that really set the bar for, for what we know, you know, the support can be from the school. And so from there, we really debated on staying longer. I was, oh, excuse me, I was an IT teacher there. So I was doing pullout classes and teaching the students four classes a day, kindergarten through grade five. 
and we debated on staying or if we should leave or what to do. And we talked a lot about it. And we just said, you know, our goal was always to see other parts of the world. That was our first experience in Asia. And we loved it. We had never traveled to Asia, nothing, never seen any part of Asia before. Loved it, but we knew also there was a lot more to see. So my next goal was to get somewhere in either Central or South America. And so we ended up in Guatemala. Did you go to a job fair for that or did no, you apply I, directly? Or I think I went through one of the recruiting services. Ended up there. Guatemala is great. Uh, beautiful area. There's so much to see around there, like so many countries you can visit around there. We went, we went to nearly all of Central America and we were able to go a little bit to South America. It was still a lot with COVID happening, so that um, slowed us mm -hmm. down a bit. And then from there, that was when we were like, okay, you know, we... We really wanted to go to Europe to work. So that was when we decided we'll fly to Greece and start this year of travel if I don't get a job. And then Chiang Mai had a posting working uh, just in a different position. So here I am a technology integration specialist. So a little bit more of a coaching role, doing a lot of admin uh, level duties and supports with teachers. Um, the leadership team at the school, just a lot of a lot of experiences that will be uh, really awesome. I already know I've grown a lot as an educator and um, just really trying to make a difference with classroom and and uh, what I see the teachers can be doing, you know, differently or more of or supporting them with technology. So that's been that's been really cool. I have a strong passion for technology. Who knows from here? We're our first year here. So living life. Well, if you run into my friend, Roberto Santos is the lead, is the head of school at the Eastern Seaboard School in Patia. And if you ever run into him at uh, one of your regional conferences, uh, he's, he's Dominican and American. He's a wonderful, wonderful guy. He's been on our show before. We're going to have him on as a guest again. He really, he's the one that started crying when he was on the, you know, as my guest, but you'll <laughs> love him. You'll, you'll uh, get to know him. It's a very small world. As you already yes. know, your stories are just going to make him cry if he ever, <laughs> if you guys meet, but uh, that is a super, super story. I mean, I, we haven't had anybody on our show that's done all that kind of travel and only been to like three countries of for education mm -hmm. right to teach mm -hmm. and live in so i'm besides the u.s mm -hmm. i'm sorry we have to include the u.s of course right yeah so we we did we did ask <laughs> at the beginning before we started recording did you have a list ready so greg are you ready to hear this list of 30 is it 36, 36 but a little disclaimer because some people and some sources will debate if some places are countries or not. So I always have to throw that out there because if you oh, Google okay. some of these places or ask mm -hmm. some people, right, it's... Politically, they yes. may be contentious. Also address this because Greg and I disagree on this. So Kim, you can be the tiebreaker. What is considered a Ooh. visit to a country. I think when you get out of the airport and you've spent money, you're in the country. Greg thinks you have to spend the night. I disagree. I don't think you need to spend the night. So Kim, can you be the tiebreaker? What did you consider a visit to a country? Well, um, don't think I go with either one of those. I think I would go kind of in the middle. Because I don't think just going to the airport or a layover or something is enough. 
But for example, if you go to Korea, my sister is coming and she's going to go to Korea on the way back. They're going to do the day tour in Korea. So have they been to the country? I would say yes, but they're not spending the night in Korea. So I'm kind of in that middle of, I think you have to leave the airport. You can't just spend money in the airport. Yeah. Eat the local food, right? This is the food episode. Yeah, you need to get out of the airport. You need to get out of the airport. You need local food. Yes. All right. Here we go. All right. Here we go. I used to have it memorized, but, uh, you know, I've been working for a few months now. So, all right. Uh, So we started in Greece. (laughs) Spain, Portugal, Poland, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, Finland, Sweden, Turkey, Egypt, Jordan, Israel, Palestine, UAE, Oman, Bangladesh, Thailand, Laos, Vietnam, Singapore, Malaysia, Philippines, Taiwan, Japan, back to Malaysia. I didn't count it twice, but we did go back because we went to Borneo, Uh, Italy, Slovenia, Croatia, Bosnia-Herzegovina, Montenegro, Serbia, Hungary, Slovakia, Austria, Czech Republic and Germany. Okay, so I was trying to follow that, you know, in the in the map that I have of the world, my brain map, and and yeah, you definitely mm-hmm. did Europe and then went to Asia and mm-hmm. then went back to Europe. People will say, but why didn't you just stay in mm. Europe and do that whole thing? But can you tell us a little bit? Is it because of the cherry blossoms? No. Was that the draw? So one of the main reasons that we left Europe was because with the U.S. passport, you can only be in the Schengen countries for 90 out of 180 days. So I I won't go into detail about that now because it's a little confusing for some people, but basically we left the Schengen area on day 82. We wanted a little bit of a buffer, so we headed out of those areas on day 82, and then we couldn't come back in, according to our calculations, until about Christmas Day. So we kept going through Asia and ended up back in Europe in uh, middle of April, which we could have come back before that. But by then we were like, okay, we're going to go to Japan. We're going to go to Borneo. At one point, it was very cute uh, when I was kind of the, the route planner. And at one point I, I told my wife, I was like, you know, I just don't think we can do Borneo right now because we wanted to go to cherry blossom season. So we were leaving Kuala Lumpur, leaving Malaysia. And I said, I think we're going to have to wait. And she was like, but you promised we can go to Borneo. Hmm. So it ended up being one of the best um, routes anyway, flying from Kuala Lumpur over to, over to Rome. So it all worked out. We stopped back down through Kuala Lumpur uh, to Borneo, Kuala Lumpur, and then back over to Rome. So Robin had to see those orangutans, And the proboscis right? monkeys. The man of the woods. And the, oh, yes. the proboscis monkeys are so strange. Good for yes. you. Now, yeah. that's really, JP, that's not just getting out of the airport and skiing. <laughs> you have to go somewhere to see. You have to get out of there to see the orangutans and go through the jungle in like a little dugout or something to see the proboscis. They're fantastic. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it look a lot like. I don't Kent, even know actually. how to spell that. Pervoscus. I've never. I'll show even you a picture of things. Kent, and then you'll be like, "Oh, look, it's a monkey," because he's not with us tonight. I can make fun of him, right? Right. <laughs> Good for Robin to make you go to Borneo. Yep. It's it is a an exciting place to go. It has to be on people's bucket yes. lists. And speaking of bucket lists, Kim, did you and Robin like miss a couple countries, and you say we've got to go back and hit those? Yes, or spend more time in a few that we went through. Yeah. So there's still a lot more in Eastern Europe we want to see. We really want to go to Romania. 
Um, we didn't go there. We also know it's quite large of a country. So we wanted to spend a little more time. A lot of people ask us, why didn't you spend more, t- like go to more countries in Africa? We feel like that needs a little more planning. And the planning that we were doing, we felt like was a little too rushed. We want to do a little more research to get to some of those places. Next month for about 10 days, we are off to Bhutan. So that's going to be really exciting. A lot of people go, where, where is that? So, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, B-H-U-T-T-A-N Only one T. Yeah. or one T. But. Okay. But I don't, is that near? Near Nepal. Where is that? Uh, so they only have a few flights ah. that fly into Bhutan on their airline. And one of them is out of Bangkok. So we'll be heading to Bangkok for a night jumping on the plane, heading up to Bhutan. And unless you know somebody or uh, have an invitation, basically you have to do an organized tour. So um, it should be a really amazing time uh, to go see the country. And um, they also have a uh, fee every day for U.S. passport passport holders. It's about $100 a day right now, I think, for the the fee. So that... Dissuades a lot of people from visiting, but also we want to go before people come or they lower the fee or something. So there's, we've done a lot of research about it. It was 200. They just cut it down in half in September. Mm -hmm. Oh, geez. I don't know. So I have refused to go to Russia because they have a a very costly visa for Canadians. Americans can get in, I think, without Mm. any cost of a visa. But I have refused to go to Russia because I'm that cheap. I'm like, I'm not going to Russia until they allow me to come in for free. A hundred US dollars a day. I uh, there was no, there's no way that's. So they want to keep their um, tourists, uh, excuse me, their tour guides and everybody really well trained, and they want to keep everything sustainable and. Got to pay to play. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I have one well, thing while we're you. talking about all these countries of the world, Kim. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but a lot of us show it on like International Week or in school, especially elementary. There's a couple of things that we show. One of them is this new video that sings about the countries of the world and they paint it in with like crayons as you mm-hmm. go around the world. But even better than that, in 1993, about 100 years ago, I worked for Warner Brothers and the Animaniacs. I don't know if you know remember the Animaniacs, but you need to Google this, and we'll put it on our links below. But you have to watch this show that the cartoon is called Animaniacs. I think it's Yakko Sings the Nations of the World. The one little thing is when you watch that cartoon, being part of Warner Brothers at the time, I found out the inside scoop on this song is that he did it in one take. So they handed him the music mm. and the list of countries. The actor sang it in one take, and they produced wow. it. It's fantastic. They go through all the countries back in 93. They go through all the countries of the world that were recognized mm-hmm. back then. And Yakko just sits there and sings the whole thing, and they show a globe. So it's really something exciting. I wanted to shout that out there because we talk about traveling the world as educators. I'm at like 70. JP, what are you at right now? I'm at 51. I'm at 51 and 51 years. Ah, Robin's turning 60 this year, and it's our 60th country. Yeah. Oh, see, hey, that's awesome. Nice. Mm-hmm. See? Bhutan? Yep. Bhutan is going to be number 60? Awesome. I love Another it. Another reason to be an and international And that takes the pressure teacher. off, too, if you just do one a year. 
well, know to take the pressure off. I haven't traveled very much recently, but I promise you, Kim, you have inspired me so much. I'll say it to our listeners right now. I will take a year off from teaching at some point just to travel the world. And I will go to these off the beaten path places too. I haven't been to Bangladesh. I have to go say I had a boogie there. I need to go to some lots of different places mm-hmm. and I'm excited. When you talked about Africa and people are asking you why you didn't spend more time there. I mean, talk about a little bit more difficulty mm-hmm. in traveling because of politics, mm-hmm. because of travel, because of countries at war. There's a lot of things going on in Africa and there's 52 countries at least maybe more down there, depending on the politics, right? So that's something we'll have to, I'll have mm-hmm. to do. And I'm going to include a little bit of Africa for sure, as well as Eastern Europe. Okay. But JP, where are you, what are you going to say? I did a, I did a trip to Africa in 2000, uh, 2012 uh, to visit. So I had a friend in Moshi, uh, Tanzania, and I really wanted to visit her before she left because I knew she was only going to be there for a few years. And I thought this is the perfect opportunity. You know, we make these lifelong friendships mm-hmm. in international teaching. And I taught with her in Turkey. So I had accumulated enough air miles to fly KLM for free to Uganda. But she lived in Tanzania. So I was like, OK, well, let's figure this out. I have two weeks. And I started to look at the map and figure out, well, I really want to trek gorillas in Rwanda. I'd heard that Rwanda was a little bit easier and I wasn't in great shape. So I thought I just need to, you know, pick the easiest trekking. Um, And that was uh, back when it was $100 a day for trekking gorillas. You would pay $100 plus then the tour guide and everything. But now I think it's gone up to $200 for trekking gorillas. But I I just started, you know, mapping out my trip, a two-week span, and then I posted it on TripAdvisor. I said, okay, everybody, any any African, East African experts, can you take a look at this and tell me, you know, am I crazy? And they were like, if you miss one plane, if one plane gets canceled, your whole two weeks Mm -hmm. becomes unraveled. Because, I mean, of course, you're not going to go overland from, you know, Uganda to Rwanda or Rwanda to Tanzania or... And I just started to panic, like, but I don't have a backup plan. Like these little puddle Mm -hmm. jumpers are it. But I will say it all went off without a hitch. So don't make logistics Mm -hmm. scare you into not jumping in because I had the best two weeks. At that time in 2012, I had saved enough money. So it was about 5,000 US dollars. I still look at that trip and think of that trip Mm -hmm as a trip of a lifetime. And what's $5,000? I mean, I I know it can be a lot of money for some people, but I look back and I'm so glad I spent that money in two weeks because the memories, the animals, the people, I wouldn't say the food particularly, the food was, was not something that I would write home about, but everything else on that trip made it worth it. And so the logistics, you know, fooey on the logistics, just go for it. I might have to call off school tomorrow, just going sick and go traveling the world. I, I can't. We're sitting here talking. I'm getting so excited about stuff. I have to wait till I go to Indonesia in December. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> Listen, can we? Let's think about wrapping this up a little bit. I do want have Kim. I want you to give us a couple pointers and last moment thoughts about anything that you want, whether it's teaching or traveling or whatever is on your mind to share with our listeners? Um, I guess I'll go back to when we uh, interviewed with Vietnam. 
Um, there's a little, a little story in there I didn't quite touch on, so I'll tell you that now. Um, Robin was ready to jump in for me to be internationally teaching us living abroad. And uh, when it came time to actually applying and interviewing, I, I really did look at her and I was like, wait, are you serious? You were serious about this? And um, she still tells that story to everybody because I think everybody thinks that I'm the one dragging her around, dragging her around. Hmm. Really, um, <laughs> she is so eager to see and learn everything and has inspired me and just we, we just really enjoy doing that together. Um, and when I was offered the job in Vietnam, um, I, we were talking about it one night and I just said, this isn't fair. I already know your vote. So, you know, it literally came down to if I was ready to take that plunge or not. And, and we did. And it's been amazing. And so, you know, I've had a few friends who we've met abroad and they went international for a year, a couple years, maybe a couple schools even, and then went back to the U.S. and they're very content and plan to stay there. And but those experiences that you do have are going to change you, are going to open your eyes, are going to be so meaningful. So even if it's just temporary, you know, I encourage everybody to give it a shot because we have loved our time and we just don't know when we'll ever settle back down in the U.S. We just there's so much to see in the world. I mean, we haven't seen all of the U.S. either, but um, there's just all the cultural uh, experiences and um sites that you see ruins you name it you know we just we just can't get enough of it all so do it just do it you know how many times greg i've heard these the itp and when we ask the guests or when you guys ask the guests um do you have any words of wisdom almost always we hear mm -hmm. just do it That's it because really it's is the, the best, best kept, kept secret, secret in education. So we just said at the same time, yes. <laughs> Kim is an example. You are an example of why people go out and stay teaching overseas. It's not your wife. It's not Robin. It's you. <laughs> I think you're enjoying it. You're loving it. And you have the ability to also travel. So the best of both worlds. Teach and be a great teacher. Yeah. See the world. Eat the food, mm -hmm. right? Our food network ITP today. <laughs> Anthony Bourdain, a shout out, of course, from your grave somewhere. This is Greg calling in from apartment 208. And JP, you're coming from Mexico. JP meant from Querétaro, Mexico. Kim, we want to thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. You sparked the travel bug in all of us, I'm sure. All the listeners now are going to want to Google all these places you've been to and thank you so much for thank sharing you. all these stories with us today. Learn how to say Bhutan. Yes. <laughs> Where it is. And proboscis monkeys and all this other. <laughs>